In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. If you were in church last night, in this church, or perhaps another, you heard the familiar Christmas story. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. There's no room for them in the inn, and so they find space in a barn or a shack or in an alleyway. Jesus is born, which is to say God is born, as a tiny, struggling, vulnerable, noisy, (laughs) dependent baby. (laughs) The shepherds come and the angels sing. The whole drama unfolds around a small child, a small child in the midst of it all. Last night, my reflections on that gospel had to do with what I was talking about being the smallness of God, the way God uh, can seem large and overriding, but often comes into the world in small, tiny, insignificant ways. I told the story from Julian of Norwich of a a vision she received back in the 14th century of a, a hazelnut in her hand. And she asked God what it meant. And God basically said, it's small. I love it. I sustain it. I will never leave it. Julian gave us that message, and we hold on to that message even as we explore a larger meaning of what God's incarnation might mean. And so God comes into the world in a small, tiny, insignificant, out-of-the-way sort of manner. But since last night, if you're listening to the gospel, God has grown up. Today's gospel is from a whole different perspective entirely. What I mean is that if last night's gospel, if last night's angle on the incarnation was intimate and personal about God who comes in small things, today's is much larger. It's majestic. It's about a God who comes as creator of the universe, of all that is and all that ever will be. God, the mysterious and all-powerful, all-knowing that spirit that hovered over the very beginning of the universe and breathes blessing over all of creation. It's the same story. It begins small, but then is magnified. It's that same story of God's incarnation, God's coming into the world in the form of a human being, Jesus of Nazareth. But then in today's gospel, the gospel of John, it's from a larger perspective. Richard Burridge is a New Testament scholar who's written a wonderful little book about the four Gospels and sort of comparing and contrasting them. And he gets at some of this perspective when he talks about the Gospels. He suggests that if Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those other Gospels, are like symphonies or operas, then the Gospel of John is like a great conductor. John himself is like the symphony conductor, just completely absorbed in the music, in the sound, and straining to ensure that every theme and note is heard by the audience. 
The traditional symbol for John the Gospel writer, John the Evangelist, is the eagle. We see this eagle in the lectern over there. Uh, many churches have an eagle lectern as a reminder that, um, that the eagle flies highest, flies farthest, and moves with, with strength and clarity and purpose. And those are all good qualities for helping us frame the scripture that we hear and try to read, mark, and inwardly digest. John's gospel is a little different from the other gospels, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Its perspective is different because John sees more in a way. It's as though John flies higher. John sees farther. He, he puts the story together in a way that someone or something on the ground in one place just can't quite see because John is sort of up and away and he sees a larger picture, a larger perspective. It's his larger perspective of who Jesus is, how God in Christ moves among us and what that means for our lives. That's what we hear in today's gospel. John's invitation can sound grand and overwhelming, but it's actually very, very simple. Whereas Luke's gospel might be to do, to do the right thing, to to be the body of Christ in the world. Matthew might talk about history and how we fit into Judaism and how Christianity follows. John's gospel is very simple. John says, believe. Simply believe. Have faith. Whether a little or a lot, have faith in God. Remember, it's that perspective of the eagle that John gives us as he invites us to try to take in the big picture. Let all the questions rest for a little while. Was it a barn or a shack or an alley? Was Mary a virgin? Was she not? Was Joseph the real father or a stepfather? Let all those questions rest John's gospel suggests. See the big picture. God has come into the world to be close to us and to draw us closer to God's self. And so John's gospel says to us, put aside all the arguments and suppose, just suppose that there might be more to the big picture than we currently acknowledge. That's all faith asks, really to put our hands, to put our bodies, our minds, our spirits in the hands of God, something larger than ourselves. A friend of mine puts it very bluntly. He says that all we really need to know about God is I'm not it. God is something beyond me. God is something greater than me. God is something more than me. And on some days... That's a hard enough thing to believe. If last night was all about the giggles of children and the braying of donkeys and stables and the off-key carols of angels that are giddy from the heights of heaven, if last night was about God speaking through what is small, then today it seems to me invites us to rest in our smallness And let God be God. The day invites us to a place of simple faith where we can perhaps allow that God is and leave it at that.
behind God, after all, is mystery, is, is love, is still, still silence. T.S. Eliot reflects this aspect of God's silence and draws on images from the Gospel of John when he writes, If the lost word is lost, if the spent word is spent, if the unheard, unspoken word is unspoken, unheard, still is the unspoken word, the word unheard, the word without a word, the word within the world and for the world, and the light shone in darkness against the word, the unstilled world, still world, about the center of the silent word. Even when unspoken, even when unheard, even when unobserved or unrecognized or unbelieved, God is. In that simple statement, I think there's tremendous freedom for all of us. If God is, then I don't always have to be. If God is, then I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to be right. I don't have to understand. I don't have to be as good as I'd like to be, or as perfect, or as generous. Drawing from T.S. Eliot's images, I'm still whirling, whirling, and growing, and falling, and getting up again, all through prayer, through God's grace. But our God is big enough to handle me and you and everyone, even when we're at our smallest. The word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Thanks, being, thanks be to God for being God, for being large, for being vast. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.